Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are in Parshat Beha'alotcha this morning. Uh, so we are beginning chapter 8 of the book of Numbers. So if you have your Bible, it's chapter 8 of the book of Numbers, verse 1. So something new and different. God spoke to Moshe saying, So speak to Aaron and tell him when you go up, when you lift up, when you cause to be lifted up, what? The flames. El mul, which usually means facing, facing the menorah, you will light seven, meaning all seven lights. I did not read the translation because I wanted you to hear how tangled the Hebrew is, right? It is not as simple as the translation makes it sound. When you, so say to Aaron, when you mount the lamps, what does that mean? Mount the lamps. Um, let the seven lamps give light at the front of the lampstand. How do you make light give light at the front of something? It's lit where it's lit. It's lit where it is on the menorah, right? So it's just, it's designed how it's designed. So this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And when you have something like this, that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. It is an engraved invitation for the rabbis uh, to explain what this really means and the many, many spiritual meanings that are here. Um, because the pshat doesn't, the just simple forward, straightforward reading doesn't seem to help a lot in terms of God giving Aaron directions. So, of course, we're going to find out, we're going to look into uh, what the real spiritual meanings of all this is. Vayas kein Aharon, and Aharon did that. El mul pnei He mounted the lamps at the front of the lampstand, the menorah. As God had commanded Moshe. So this is how it was made. It was miksha, hammered, uh, zahav, of gold. So from the base to the petals. Remember, there are petals at the top of the of each of the seven branches. So from all the way from the base to the petal was one piece, essentially. And it's all hammered from that one big piece of gold. According to the pattern that God had shown Moshe, so was the lampstand made. So God shows Moshe, God gives Moshe a vision of how it's supposed to be made. And Moshe did it um, exactly like that. By Deber Denai Moshe Limor, God speaks to Moshe again. So take the Levi'im, the, the Levites, from amongst B'nai Yisrael and cause them to be tahor, cause them to be pure. So purify them. So you should, this is how you will purify them. Sprinkle water on them. They, they uh, shave their whole body. They wash their clothes and they become pure. All right. <clears throat> So let's get back to this crazy menorah business. All right. So remember that the menorah is a seven branched menorah. When we think menorah, we think Hanukkah. So when we think menorah, what we are actually thinking about and envisioning is a Hanukkah. So a menorah is a, is a general word for that which gives light. So anything that gives light is technically a menorah. The menorah in the temple, this one that we're talking about, that was how the priests did the daily ritual in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle, and later in the temple, is a seven-branched menorah that, that is given, like the instructions, the design is given as part of the daily ritual that, that Aharon is to do. And this is and how we know that it's not staying lit all the time is because he has to clean the wicks and light it every day. So we kind of have this idea that it was always burning from the, you know, this idea of the eternal flame. That is not the menorah. It is lit every day as part of the ritual. And it's, it's this seven branched 
menorah. So let's start digging into what the rabbis do with this business of the menorah. So we're going to look at Rabbi Mark Margolius. He points out, he, here are verses, by the way. Here's verses, right, one through four. And Margolius points out the first thing, one of the first things we have to ask is, the specific language of this passage raises at least two questions. First, why is beha'alotcha? in your raising up, used to describe the lighting of the menorah, right? So we just saw when you raise up the flames, right? Well, that's a, that's a very crazy way to say light, the menorah. So even in Torah language, that's not the word you use for lighting. It would be lehadlik. So why isn't it in your lighting, in your kindling of the menorah? Why is it in your raising up? That doesn't make any sense. Rashi, so we go to Rashi, we go to one of our greatest Torah commentators ever, we go to Rashi. Rashi notes that the Torah uses an expression connoting ascent because flames naturally rise, meaning they, you know, they reach up. And the priest must kindle the light until it ascends on its own. Rashi explains that the three branches on each side of the menorah, east and west, were oriented so that the wicks of all six faced towards the central branch. The the menorah and its branches were hammered from one single block of gold as opposed to individual pieces attached or fused together. As Rashi describes it, there was a block of gold weighing a talent, which must be a lot. The priest pounded it with a hammer and cut it with a chisel to extend its limbs in the prescribed manner, it was not made limb by limb and then connected together. All right. So there's lots, you can already hear, there's a lot of spiritual teaching here, yeah? All right. So one, you, Rashi says, why does it say, in your lifting up, in your causing to go up of the flames? It doesn't make any sense. It should say, it should say, you know, in your kindling those flames. And Rashi says, because it's not about, yes, you have to light them, but you, you have to stay there lighting. The priest has to stay there with the lighter until the, the flame he's lighting is going up on its own. Okay? There's already a spiritual teaching here. And then the other thing he's talking about is like, this is odd that it's a hammered piece of gold. Why are we told this, that it's one solid block? Because normally if you're going to make something like this, you make the branches and then you weld them together. Like you have a way to attach them to the base. You don't take one big piece of metal and try to chisel it into, that doesn't make any sense. That's not how stuff is made. You have a mold, you melt stuff, you know, you put it into the mold and whatever. So, but, but this is not the normal way, even in biblical times, to make uh, a, a candelabra like this. But of course, it's going to have symbolism for us. The menorah thus physically symbolizes the paradoxical tension between the dimensions of multiplicity and oneness. The seven branches and the seven distinctive lights represent diversity and the uniqueness of each individual element. At the same time, the seven branches or lights stem from a single source, the unitary block of gold, and are oriented towards the central unifying element, the central branch of the menorah. All right, so we're getting here. The beginning of the spiritual uh, meaning of this is that you have seven individual lights because diversity is important. We want to have seven distinct individual lights, but it should all be from one piece, right? So A, the the flames are towards the central unifying element, the, the central branch. The three on each side face the central branch. Um, that's one way to symbolize this unity within diversity. And then that it all comes from one block of gold is very clearly an instruction uh, about we, we have many, many flames off one central um, piece, which of course symbolizes the divine uh, in, in each human being. The symbolism is akin to light refracting through a prism 
which is transformed into a variety of colors of the spectrum, but remains part of and flows out of the same single light. So this idea that he's bringing forward is like a prism takes white light and breaks it down into lots of different colors, um, but it still shines forward as generally as, as just light. Um, but if we were to break it apart, we would see all of these many colors. This is the same idea here he's saying with the menorah. He says, the symbolism of the menorah reminds us to hold simultaneously both ends of a paradox, to embrace our sacred uniqueness as part of creation, while understanding our distinctiveness as manifesting creation's underlying oneness. This is the essence of the midah of anava. So the spiritual midah, the spiritual characteristic of anava, usually translated as humility, but also understood as proper taking up, if you will, the proper amount the, or the appropriate space or place. All right, so he's going to go off into this whole thing about anava. We are not going to follow him there um, because we have other work to do. All right, so, so that, is, that is a beautiful piece by Mark Margolius on this, on this idea, but he, I want to go further into this idea of beha'alotcha, um, and so I'm going to go to Rabbi Wolf Blank of Blessed Memory. He died in a car accident in his late 30s. He was the shining star student and heir apparent of um, the founder of uh, Renewal, of Jewish Renewal. And uh, so his, his death was a huge, left a huge hole uh, in, in progressive Jewish thought and in uh, Hasidism as we learn about it today. So, so when you lift the Nerot, when you call, when you cause the Nerot to go up, that's that first verse that we saw. Margolius comments it, it, it should have been Lahadlik. And Rashi says that you have to light it until the flames go up on their own. Um, I love this. So um, Rabbi Wolf Blank brings uh, from, uh, from Hasidism, from Rabbi Menachem Mendel, Schneerson of Chaban, that there's two meanings to this spiritual teaching. One is that when lighting up another person, you stay with them until they are lighted up with their own power. You don't just shine your light on them and walk away. And number two, in order to light up another person, you have to go up first. So if we're going to help light someone then we have to rise first before we can be about the business of doing that. All right. So on those two uh, teachings, let's see if there's any, I saw some, something going to chat. How big was the menorah? That I do not know. Somebody can Google it right now. How big was the menorah? Um, because they're going to give me measurements that I don't understand anyway, right? They're going to give me um from here to here on a man, although my arms usually are as long as men's, um, from here to here is a, a measurement that we see a lot in talking about the Mishkan. So, um, but, so if somebody wants to look it up, how big was, was the menorah in the tabernacle or in the temple, you can look it up, but I'm terrible with spatial stuff on a good day, um, so I don't know. But uh, all right, so, so these two ideas, one is that, that it's meaningful that it's hammered of one piece of gold because it is a unity that then is expressed in individuality, individuality that again faces towards the center. Um, and this idea that, uh, that it's about not the, the word kindling, but it's the word for uh, going up and, or causing, causing light to go up. Um, so this idea that a, it, it says beha'alotcha in your doing this. So you have to go up, say the rabbis, um, when you're helping light someone else up. But also if you're going to help light up somebody else, you don't just, you know, shine on them and then walk away. You stay with them. You accompany them until you teach them, until you listen to them, until you counsel them, until they, their own light, right, is is the light that, that's lighting them up, not yours reflecting on them. So, so a couple of really um, beautiful teachings. Is there any comments or questions on those?
Why seven branches? What's the symbolism of seven? Seven days of creation? Or if I were to make a menorah, I would have made it 10 branches, one for each tribe. Except there are 12 tribes. And 12 tribes, I mean. 12, yeah. It would have made 12? Yeah. For the 12 <laughs> tribes. Well, just the missing tribes. Okay. But, <laughs> but I just love that you answered your own question because you've been studying Torah enough to know seven, boom, magic number, right? Seven right. is a magic number. So for sure, one of the rabbinic commentaries is why seven? Because it's the seven days of creation. And what does it do? What does this whole business do? It's a menorah. It's about or. It's about light. So it's the seven days of creation and the primordial lights, because it's not the light of the sun, remember, because the sun was created on the fourth day and light was created on the first day. So this is a different light. The primordial light that lights the world, right? God's primordial light that happens at Vayihi Or, let there be light. That is the light of, that the menorah symbolizes and the seven days of creation. Absolutely. But there's more. Because, say, the rabbis, remember when we studied, those of us who studied the spherotic system, the ten spherot, there are the three upper spherot, and then mm. there are the seven lower spherot that kind of is what, you know, we're mm. all mostly enmeshed in. And so it is the seven lower spherot that kind of, you know, that, that each soul is, is dealing with all the time, right? We're, we're in one of those spherot or a combination of those seven spherot all the time. Uh, and so that, that's, that's why seven as well. Okay. So Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi uh, wrote in Likute Torah. Again, this is Rabbi Wolf Blank bringing this forward. Um, when it says, you know, to light, uh, when you light the lamps as you face the menorah, light all seven. Well, of course you're going to light all seven. What, you're going to light two? You're going to light every other one? Of course, you're going to light all seven, unless it's Hanukkah, in which case that's a whole nother thing. Um, so it seems a little Department of Redundancy department. God forbid. This is Torah. So it can't be. So, so uh, Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi says each soul is a lamp. And the menorah is the soul tree, which collectively holds, connects, and unites all the souls. The menorah represents the collective soul. Aharon embodies the thread of godliness in the enlightened ones who can bring out the fire in every soul, whose job it is to light up the entire soul tree. Let Aharon know that his job is not complete with lighting up a few souls, but must kindle all souls of whichever variety they must all be reached. Let them all be lighted up. So this is a Hasidic teaching that says, guess what, Hasidic masters? You don't get to choose which Yidden you want to teach and which Yidden you feel don't deserve your attention. You don't get to masters, teachers, inspirers, counselors, soul tenders. You don't get to decide which soul is deserving of being lit up. The Aharon in you, the one that helps bring forth the godliness in people, the Aharon in you is commanded, light them all. You don't get to pick, which I think is a fabulously wonderful democratizing teaching from you know, a tradition, the Hasidic tradition that could be pretty hierarchical, right? Mehmet, your hands up. Um, we, as, as, as you've been highlighting over and over, um, Shabbat is one of the biggest inventions of the Jewish people. Um, I see the central branch symbolizes, um, uh, as much God as, uh, as well as, um, Shabbat, um, culturally as a cultural and religious uh, invention. And, um, uh, another note is, um, Near Eastern societies are incredibly tribal. And I believe up to, to the point of the uh, formation of the rabbinic Judaism, uh, the, the Israelites were probably also very fragmented and very tribal. 
um, I guess the menorah and the central branch also symbolizes the unity, the formation of the unity of the Jewish people. That, that's how I... Um, Beautiful. So. Because we take it for granted that these tribes are a confederation called Israel or Israel-Judah, right? We, you know, we just take that for granted. But, abs- it, but remember, collect, they lasted 100 years. That was it. So, you know, all the history before that and all the history after that, I mean, they could only pull it together for 100 years. And we have to believe they were a fractious 100 years. You know, it it never really worked. It never really took. But we survived as a people. Well, we survived. And how did we survive? Because guess what? The tribes went away. I mean, I think that's part of how we survived is that we became the Jewish people and the distinctions of Benjamin, you know, God, Yisachar, all of that went away. Um, and we started living into this idea of unity, that we are one people. Uh, and I, you're right, that's, that's how we... Yeah, our Abrahamic uh, brothers and sisters, our neighbors in the Near East, they are still very tribal. They never crossed that boundary. You know, it's human nature, right? It's, it, and we're, look at our country, so we may not be calling them tribes, but we are so deeply polarized right now that someone just has to start one sentence. And I'm like, oh, one of them. One of the, they're one of them, not one of us. Right? There's, this, there's a very clear us and them. I mean, it's just, it's human nature. And we're constantly fighting, I think, against that nature towards you know, division as opposed to unity. Because it's not easy. Is written the way it is on purpose. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Not, not your friend, not the person in your tribe, the, your neighbor, the one you just happen to find yourself next to, because you may be, it's just, it's most likely that you're going to be drawn not to love them, right? That you're going to have what to fight over boundaries and fences and whose apple tree is it? And how come your bull keeps getting into my yard, right? So, um, it's hardest, right, to live, to love sometimes the people you're in, in closest proximity to. Um, and, it's, and it's hard being human beings, like living together with diverse opinions and ways of seeing things and interests and agendas. And, um, and I think, so I think our tradition is pretty good about acknowledging that, right? The menorah is there to say, mm-mm, <laughs> like, you, you don't get to go where it's naturally more comfortable for you to go. You, you know, you have to live into um, this understanding that this radical idea that, that, that the divine is in everyone equally. Judith. So there's no shamas on this candelabra. No. And, and the order in which they're lighted, is that determined also? Not that I know of. Okay. Um, there's no shamash because there's no need for one. Right. Reason, right. The only reason we have a shamash is because you're not allowed to, to gain any benefit from the light of the menorah. So the shamash is higher. Mm-hmm. So that if, God forbid, you're reading a book and it starts to get dark and you're gaining light from the menorah, it didn't come from one of the eight candles. It came from the ninth shamash. Right. So it is a legal protection against benefiting from the light of the menorah, as opposed to Shabbat, where you are allowed to benefit from the light of the Shabbat candles. So there's no shamash for the Shabbat candles either, and, or, nor for this menorah, because presumably nobody was going to benefit from the light of this menorah because it was in the Mishkan. And the, the Israelites couldn't be in the Mishkan. Right? Only the priests. And, and these candles you, you never blow out either, right? Um, well, they would have been they would have been relit every day. Okay. The wicks the wicks would have been cleaned and the oil changed to be fresh, pure oil every day. Okay. Um okay. So Rev Avraham agrees with Sheldon. Rev Avraham says the seven branches of the menorah represent the seven days of creation and the light of the flames of the menorah represent the day of creation when God first said, let there be light and there was the primordial light. 
Reb Naftali said, the seven branches of the menorah represent the seven sefirot that emanate in the world below, while the oil, the wick, and the flames of each of, the, of, of them represent the three sefirot of the world above. The menorah reveals how the worlds above and below may be drawn together so that the light originating in the world above may also be reflected here below. So our work, of course, is to be Aharon. Our work is to access the priest or priestess within each one of us that can bring, you know, the, the wick, the oil, and the flame, right, to, to meet the seven lower road. It's our job as human beings to figure out how to bring the light from above down here into the regular world through our interactions with each other, through our service uh, uh, to the divine, whatever our avodah, whatever our work, whatever our service uh, is at this moment in time. I think it's a beautiful metaphor right now for how do we reach past some of the crazy or through the crazy, using the crazy right now, right, to to access the, the light from above. How do we pull on that and pull from below and, and cause what looks like a bunch of division and a bunch of different stuff going on? How do we pull that into one menorah, one way of bringing light to this world? And that's going to mean figuring out how to come together, right? And that's, that's the definition of why the, the, Menorah was made from one piece of gold. That's the one block of gold. That's the definition of why they're oriented like they are towards the center. It's all because it's supposed to be this idea of unity, but not by giving up our diversity. Right. And I think that that is a moment we're living in for sure right now. How do we create a menorah out of this business? How do we bring light through all of this that's going on? How do we create right? Something that is, is enlightening without giving up our diversity and our differences. And it's a challenge. The rabbis don't pretend that it's easy and they don't pretend that it's not a challenge or that it's not super hard. It is. Um, Amy, uh, yes. I can answer my own question, which is how big is the menorah? Yeah. And evidently, it was not an easy thing to light. According to Wikipedia, quote, in Jewish oral tradition, the menorah stood 18 hand breaths or palms, three common cubits, or approximately 1.62 meters, which is 5.3 feet. So, so, so lighting the, 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 the gold block had to be pretty big. Pretty big. And okay. lighting it the people didn't dominate it. Well, that's how big it was. Right. And, and this is some people want to point to that being the reason we have this word about going up. It's because the priest literally had to go up, you know, they, they would have had to go upstairs to light it, but that really is about you going up. It's not about you causing them to go up, but some people want to link going up to light it because you literally had to go up to light it. Did someone have a question or a comment? Michael. Michael, speak. You managed to negotiate the... It just maybe of interest that seven in pagan theology is the number of Athena. It's the number of purity, wisdom and purity. So we've got obviously a tradition of seven that I'm sure transcends all sorts of national... 100%. Yep. In the ancient world, seven would have been... One of your magic seven, seven stars in the in the uh, Pleiades and so forth. So three, seven, right? There are a lot of these numbers that, that appear, you know, all over the place in in traditions of regarding magic, regarding power, regarding luck, fortune. Okay. You know, all, manipulating things like this. So there's, it's yes, absolutely. Uh, in, al in alchemy, you have seven. And alchemy, exactly. So all over the ancient world and then moving forward out of the ancient world even. So from the Midbar Shur, we get a teaching that says the Torah stresses that when you light the lamps, when you light the lamps, meaning you awaken your intellectual powers, 
when we work towards that individual enlightenment that suits our particular character, right? Those, one of those seven lower spherot, we're always in one of those. So we're always coming out of one of those uh, places. And, and our learning, says the Midbar Shur, is always about what we need coming out of that particular sphira at any particular moment. So when we do the learning that is particular to us, right, each of the little flames, we should take care that this wisdom will shine towards the center of the menorah. What is the center of the menorah? This is the wisdom of the Torah itself. We need to draw specifically from the light of Torah, whose source is the underlying unity of all wisdom. But I believe it works the other way as well, that we, our learning shouldn't just be about us and about what I need in this moment and my particular learning in this moment. It needs to shine towards the center, right? My, my learning needs to help be focused or be focused and shine towards the center. Um, it isn't just about me, right? I want to, I should be contributing out of that. In truth, the seven branches of the menorah are not truly distinct separate paths. All seven receive light from the unified wisdom with which God enlightens this world. For this reason, the menorah was fashioned from a single piece of gold, Mishka Zahav. The special manner in which the menorah was formed reveals the underlying unity of all forms of wisdom. So all these beautiful teachings out of the Hasidic tradition, um, all from these, these four verses of Torah. Um, and like I said, the more tangled it is, the, the more of an invitation to the rabbis to to say why it's written this way and not another way. All right, so let me go to, so I want to show you, if you understand, if you really immerse yourself in this kind of translation, interpretation of Torah, you become fluent. So just like Sheldon was able to answer his own question because he's become fluent in the number seven, mean the number seven being symbolic of the seven days of creation, right? And then everything that would flow from there. Um, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time going down that road, but that rabbit hole, but you like, you, you get it, right? Like, so it's not just the seven days of creation, right? It's like, it's like everything that that means. So whenever he sees seven, whenever we see seven, we, alarm should be going off, right? And about Shabbat, right? The seventh, the, you know, the seventh is the sacred is Shabbat. So that set of seven is completion. You, you, we could go on. I know each of you could go on for another five minutes about what that seven me, really means. Um, so once you start to, to read Torah like that, that it starts to, you know, jump out at you and that Nair, right? Nair, flame, of course means soul, like duh, right? Because in another place we see in Torah, it's, in, it's on our sanctuary. It's on the wall in our sanctuary. Ner, you know, nishmat adam, ner adonai. The, the soul of the human being is the ner, or is it, I forget. But it's like the, the, the soul is the ner, right? And, and so, um, so once you start reading like this, you can look at any passage of Torah and things start to jump off the page and, and you're no longer reading it as just God spoke to Moshe saying, you, right? Aharon is, is symbolic of love. He was Rodef Shalom. He chased down peace and he did all kinds of craziness in the Midrashim uh, to, in the Midrashic literature, he does all kinds of crazy things to try to bring peace, right? Moshe and Miriam get in a fight. Moshe learns that Miriam said something about him. And there's, there's friction. So Aharon runs to Moshe and says, Miriam is really sorry and she wants to make up. And he runs to Miriam and he says, Moshe's really sorry, he wants to make up. Neither one of them have said anything about being sorry and wanting to make up. And so, but because they each hear this from Aharon, they go and they make up and there's shalom bite, there's peace in the family, there's peace in the home. So this is our Aharon. So once you, once you are steeped enough in, in these Midrashic and Hasidic and other kinds of spiritual interpretations, you can start to translate the Torah on your own a little differently. I am not expert enough yet to do that. I can do a little, but not a ton. But I want to show you what an alternative translation 
from somebody deeply steeped in these kinds of teachings, what it looks like. Okay. It's super fun. Just go with me. You don't have to buy it, but I want you to see how somebody else might read who has a very, very deep knowledge of the spiritual Kabbalistic Hasidic Midrashic tradition. Okay. So it's just a game. Just, just be willing to play willing suspension of disbelief as my literature teacher used to say. So on the right is the literal translation that you would find. On the left is this different kind of, tra- of translation. Okay, ready? We're going to take us line by line. Vaidaber Adonai. That seems pretty clear. Yudhe Vavhe spoke. Don't be fooled that it's that simple. There's many words for speaking. Diber, Amar, Lehagid. There are all these different words. Daber has the very unique quality, according to the spiritual tradition, of being speech that is clear, direct and clear. There's other kinds of speech. But so that's why in this particular instance, this word for speaking is used because God spoke very clearly. The infinite spoke so clearly. El Moshe, through the Moses sub-personality within each of us. You shouldn't think, God forbid, that this is a moment when God talked to Moses 3,000 years ago. God forbid. This is a spiritual teaching for us for all time, which means this pasuk, this set of psukim, this set of verses is coming to speak to the Moshe in each of us. That aspect of ourselves. Okay. The infinite spoke so clearly through the Moshe personality within each of us. Daber el Aharon. Right? Use this kind of direct and clear speech to the Aharon subpersonality. And what is that subpersonality about? That's about love. So how might you translate Daber el Aharon? Give Aharon, the Aharon within you, your love quality. Give it clear direction. Speak clearly to it. Ve'amarta elav. See, this is a different word for speaking. Ve'amarta elav. Communicate in a way that is gentle. Deber is about clarity and directness. Amar, speaking using the word amar, is about being gentle. Phrasing things in a way that it's careful. That might even be a little circumspect. Are you sure you want to wear that blouse with that skirt? Are you, are you sure? Right? So maybe not so direct, right? But lots of different kinds of speech. All right. So Diber al-Aharon, speak clearly, right? Or give, cl- give clarity to Aharon, your love quality. Communicate in a way that is gentle. Beha'alotcha, when you come to lift up. Remember, it's about you lifting up to Aharon, you, when your love quality comes to lift up etanerot. Of course, what does nerot mean? The souls of the people. When, so communicate in a way that is gentle when you come to lift up the souls of the people. El mul, meaning facing. Orient them. Pnei literally the face of the, of the lampstand, to the depths of the light source is how um, he translate this. Ya'iru, thus they shall give light. So he says, if you're, if, you're, if you're really back in this other translation, this other way of understanding this text, when you come to lift up the souls of the people, orient them, right, to the depths of the light source so that you initiate them to give off their own light. Right? That, Ya'iru, let them that literally, the word means let them give light. You're doing this, you're approaching people, when you approach people in order like to lift them up, do it in a way that empowers them to give off their own light. Shiv'at hanerot, from whichever of the seven sfirot the nature of the various soul happens to be. Vaya'aske naharon, literally means an aharon did so. But if we're reading on this other level, the love quality, the Aaron responds. El orienting to the depths of the light source. the souls of all the people are lifted up. Ka'asher tzivat Adonai, literally as God commanded, but 
in our other language as the infinite had prepared the connection. He wants to use tziva, that you can, there is a sense of tziva that's connecting, not just commanding. So as the infinite had prepared the connection at Moshe with the Moses subpersonality inside each of us. Literally, this is the making of the lampstand. But what does he say? This is the lowest acceptable level of the enlightenment work with people. <laughs> right? The origin. That, that's, this is the lowest level. Mikshezahav, hammered work of gold. What is the lowest acceptable level of the enlightenment work with people? Freedom from the hammering of gold-related fears. Right? So rather than hammered work of gold, it's freedom from the hammering of essentially our obsession or our anxiety related to zahav, related to gold, meaning money. Adyerechav, from its base, literally is what it means, but either dealing with their base issues, right? They're, they're dealing with survival issues. Oops. To its flowers, right? Or luxury exploration. So from the basest of our issues to the floweriest, fanciest tops of the branches explorations, mikshehi, it's hammered. Let your work with the people be free from this, you know, hammering that we know is about zahab, is about obsession or anxiety around gold. Kimar'eh, which literally means according to the pattern, but mar'eh means it's from the verb to see, an appearance. Just as the purity of the original vision is pure, asher har'ah, again from having made visible, but in this case that God had made visible, which the infinite enlightened, because he's going to play on or. Instead of being from har'ah, being from to see or to be appear, he plays with it being about or, har'ah, about or, God enlightened, the Moshe personality inside you. Kain aset thus shall you make, he made the lampstand. Um, in our translation, in this way, the source of light can begin its work at rudimentary levels. Ken asa etamenorah. Asa, like asa, is doing at the basest level. It's not fancy. Um, all right. So you begin to see like this other, this other level below the text, which I just love. Vayaske in Aharon, this, this beginning of verse three, and Aharon did so. It's that the Aharon within you responds to this. What a, what a, like, if you start to read Torah at this level, if you start to read Torah this way, it starts to jump off the page and start to, it starts to become spiritual teaching, um, the whole thing. Even Daber el Aharon, or God spoke to Moshe. How did God speak to Moshe? With what quality of speech, right? All of those now become habit that you start to read um, all of those into all of these different kinds of verses. So just wanting to give you a flavor of what it is to look beneath the text the way someone like uh, Rabbi Wolf Blank of Blessed Memory could do. I can't translate like that, but it's there, right? That according to our tradition, it's there. And I just love that that whole other layer is what we're always working in Torah study to get to. We're always looking, you know, through the, the meanings down to um, what our tradition has mined out of, out of, all, of uh, all of our collective teachings and reading it back into the pshat, reading it back into what looks like God spoke to Moshe. That's just the third grader's understanding. God spoke to Moshe. <laughs> right? So, um, but I, I so love that. All right. I'll, I'll, I want to close sharing with you um, a beautiful thing that we received from our teacher in Israel. Um, so Dr. Malita, Malila Helner Eshed sent us this beautiful piece um, uh, and she's our teacher at Hartman. And so she sent this to those of us who are involved 
uh, in the Hartman stuff. It is Friday morning in Jerusalem, preparing for Shabbat Beha'alotcha and thinking of you all. Today is a day of clergy ta'anit, a fast, calling into awareness a state of moral emergency at the killing of George Floyd and Iyad al-Halak. The ta'anit was put forward by Rabbi Tamar el-Ad uh, and these other folks. So she goes on to talk a little bit about the fast, but this is what I wanted to bring to you. I have been following the Chevraya emails from far away, from far away Israel, as Miriam stands from afar to see what will happen to Moshe. As a sister of yours, I have been doing this from the beginning of the spread of coronavirus in the States, when here in Israel we were already in tight lockdown. Now we are in this great storm of rage and demand for change. There is a felt deepening of unknowing, awakening pain and fear, maybe some birth pangs. I wish to tell you how inspiring it is for me to see the network of help, creativity, support, last minute solutions and presence of spirit brought about by so many of you. I stand in awe at the challenges you face being Jewish spiritual leaders in North America at this time, but I wanna get to the text. I am so grateful and proud at the way that IJS, the Institute for Jewish Spirituality, has created this living web of Torah, ritual, ideas, and heart. I am honored by being part of this. So that piece I read to you by Mark Margolius is from IJS, is from the Institute for Jewish Spirituality. So she's reading all of the stuff that we're reading together as well. We read Baha'alotcha and know that any sanctuary needs light. As living mishkanim that bring light, I send you the Zohar. She's an expert in Zohar and, uh, and that period of mystical writing. As living Mishkanim that bring light, I send you the Zohar's inspiring words, reminding us that we have been placed in the world to try and bring more light, connectedness, and consciousness of oneness. So all this stuff we've been talking about, that's what she, this is code, right, for Shabbat Beha She knows that we know what she means, that we're studying about the menorah. I love this. Rabbi, a rabbi talking to rabbis. As living mishkanim that bring light, I send you the Zohar's inspiring words, reminding us that we have been placed in the world to try and bring more light, connectedness, and consciousness of oneness. Shabbat shalom, all my love from Yerushalayim, Malila. And he, here's what I just, I wanted to give you the context, but this is such a beautiful teaching from the Zohar related to um, what we just studied. Ready? Shehare b'nei Yisrael kayamim lemata. Liftoach drachim, ulhair shvilim, ulhadlik orot, ulkarev hakol milamata lilamala, liot hakol echad. Ve alkein katuv, ve atem hadvekim ba adonai lohechem, chayim kuchem hayon. So beautiful. Shehare bene Israel kayamim lamata, for the, the people of Israel. Kayamim lamata are established below. We exist below, meaning here on earth. Liftoach drachim, to open ways or paths. Ulha'ir shvilim, and to light up paths. Ulha'adlik orot, and to kindle, to light lights, to light lamps. Ulha'karev hakol, and to draw everything, right? This is karov, this is to come close. Ulakarev, so and to cause to come close everything, milimata from below, limala to above, lihiot hakol echad, so that everything will be one. And therefore, it is written, you y'all, cleaving to Yudhevavhe, your God, are alive, each one of you today meaning the point of our life, the point of us being here, the point of each one of us being alive is to cleave to God. And the whole point of that business is to bring everything from below to above so that everything should be one. That is the Zohar, our mystical uh, teaching about Beha'alotcha, about this whole business of the menorah, about multiplicity and oneness um, and the paradox of that. Um, and brought, it's so beautiful to have words of Torah brought to you by a beloved teacher. I've never heard these words of Torah ever from the Zohar. I've never heard this teaching. 
Um, so to get that from Yerushalayim, to get that from Jerusalem is just such an, an incredible gift. And again, once you become fluent in any of this and attached to any of this and connected to the symbolism of any of this, um, you start to really appreciate how beautiful the tradition is and to receive a pearl like this from uh, your rabbi and teacher is just is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I wanted to share it um, with all of you. It was very moving to me. Um, the Zohar talking about the whole point of our existence is to bring the below close to the above and that only human beings can do that work. Only humanity can do that work. And as messy as it looks in the streets right now, she's calling those birth pangs, hopefully birth pangs, the pain, the agony, the tearing and the bleeding of something new coming into existence, something being born. And only human beings can do that. Only we can bring Lamala to Lam Lamata to Lamala. Only we can do the work of bringing what's down below up to what's above so that everything becomes echad. Everything is one. And so for me, these words were just so, and she offered them at this moment. She didn't pick these for no reason, right? It's related to our Parsha, but it's also because she looks and sees what's happening with COVID and with, you know, what's the protests in the street and, and she's, she's like us, she's, it hurts, but yet she sees the response of American rabbis um, to what's happening and she's proud and she's moved and she knows that only we can do this work. And, and I say that to you, each one of you is doing it in your world and in your family and in your community and with the people that you know and within our community as well and bringing it here and, and only we can do that as messy and as painful and as confusing and as messed up as it can be, we, we are the only ones, humanity is the only ones who can do this work so that everything becomes a hard, so that everything is unified and everything is one. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.